0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. What do we call it when the earth spins around one time 360 degrees? We, we call it a day, and, and we measure that when the earth spins around one time. What do we call it whenever the moon circles and orbits the earth one time? We call it a month, and we're able to measure that by the moon orbiting the earth. And what do we call it whenever the earth orbits the sun one time? We call that a year. And, and we can measure these things from the sun, the moon, the stars, but where does the week come from? See, the week has nothing to do with the earth's orbit or the moon's orbit. The week comes from God. The week comes from the first seven days of creation that we read about in Genesis chapter 1. This morning, we're going to talk about that creation and and God creating the world. And we're going to talk about some things that I typically don't cover from the pulpit, that, that none of us typically cover from the pulpit we're going to talk about science we're going to talk about archaeology and dead animals and we don't typically talk about that here and so it can be a little bit foreign but I want you to rest assured that if you don't understand anything we talk about this morning it's okay it's okay you, you don't have to be a scientist you don't have to be some paleontologist to look at a calendar and see evidence that God is the creator That we all have lived under this seven-day week since the beginning of time, not because man, but because of God. And therein lies evidence that God is the creator. I've got quite a few slides. We've got quite a bit to cover this morning. Uh, I was asked to prove creation. And I volunteered for that, so I guess maybe I asked for it a little bit. And I got to realize, how in the world do you prove something where nobody was there? You know, God was there, but nobody else was there. And you might think that's going to be difficult, and and maybe it is, but we have reason to believe, and and hopefully I can prove that to you this morning. We have reason and evidence to believe that God is the creator outside of what the scriptures say. And we're going to look at the scriptures as well, of course, this morning. So I'm going to try to move fairly quickly and and get through all these these evidences uh, as well as uh, cover the biblical account of creation, and so there's some things that we're going to spend some time on this morning that aren't necessarily evidences that prove that God is the creator, but rather that line out and help us have a better understanding of what the first seven days of existence were, what creation was like, because there are some things within creation that people get mixed up and that people don't understand. And so, briefly, we're not going to read Genesis chapter 1 and the first few verses of 2. That's going to take too much time, and I'm certain you've read that before, but we see in day one that God creates the light, and then he divides the light from the darkness. Day two, God creates the firmament. And so whenever the Bible says firmament, especially in this example, it means space, and that doesn't necessarily mean outer space. In fact, it just means like space, like this room has 3,000 square foot of space. I thought that the the Spanish translation in Genesis Chapter 1 and verse, what is that, 3 or 4? Whatever verse that is, it may be 6 or 7. Uh, it uses the word expansion. God creates the expansion, and I thought that was kind of neat. On day number 3, it says that the waters are gathered into one place in verse number 9. It says then that the dry land appears. Once the dry land appears, God creates grass. Uh, he specifically mentions trees that bear fruit uh, and and other things that grow on the earth. And that's what happens In day three, on day four, God creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and then outer space. And a little bit of, I guess this ruins my first line, but God created the sun, moon, and stars too. And he even told us that they were for signs and for seasons. In other words, that is why we can measure the moon orbiting us and know that that's been a month. That's the reason God created those things uh, and put them in place like they are. On day number five, God creates sea animals and birds. And so it's become apparent to me that God really likes sea animals because he didn't destroy them in the flood and he created them first. So I guess God really likes the sea animals. Day number six, God creates the land animals and he creates mankind. I think it's important to note that, that mankind is given dominion. That mankind was created differently from all the rest of creation. That The Bible says that God breathed into man uh, the breath of life. And that man became a living soul. And so that's completely different from any of the rest of creation uh, that we see. And then of course on day 7, God rested. And so this is the biblical account of creation. Certainly there were some other things that happened that that I didn't write down here. But this is the brief overview uh, without having to read uh, 45 or 50 verses. This is what happened uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and the early parts of chapter 2. In Jude chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This was a verse that all of us guys in the series have, have spent some time talking about and felt like was important uh, for these subjects. You should earnestly contend for the faith. You know, this is the only place in the New Testament where this phrase appears. You can't find it anywhere else. And so we find the words earnestly or faith or maybe even contend, but this is the only time in which they appear this way, and so we can't really get different context by looking at different verses. But as I began to look at that, I had some things come to mind and some things that it reminded me of in my life. I really liked high school basketball. I really enjoyed it. And, and after high school, I, I still enjoyed basketball. And I went to college, and Brenton and I would go up to the activity center, and we'd find somebody, and we'd play basketball with them. And every Sunday night, a bunch of the guys from church would get together, and we'd go find some gym, and, and we'd go play basketball. We'd get, a, we'd get enough for five-on-five, five and we'd go and play. But you know what wasn't there in, in unorganized basketball? Referees. There was no referees there. There were no officials there. And let me tell you, we were competitive people. And I wanted to win, and I wanted you to lose. That's what it means to contend and to compete. I wanted to win. And in those games, there's no, there's no refs, and so well, nobody's going to call a foul, are they? Well, who's going to call out of bounds? Who's gonna, we had to do that ourselves. And we tried to be as honest as we could, but I want you to know at the end of a game... When the next basket wins, and somebody bumps me on the way to the basket, and I miss, it was a foul. I'm here to win the game, I'm calling the foul. There was that fella, he, he didn't play basketball growing up, he wasn't very good. Every time he touched the ball, he traveled, and I, we wouldn't call it on him the entire time, but at the end of a close game, travel, our ball, we're going to win. If it went out of bounds, there was going to be an argument. Because I wanted to contend. I wanted to win that game. Do we do this with the faith? Garland asked that in his, in his introduction. Are we competing? Are we contending for the faith? That's another word that we can think of that, that this word contend means. It means to compete. So what does that look like in our lives? That means whenever it comes to creation, for, since that's my topic today, and your science textbook says millions and millions of years ago, when, when someone says that God's not the creator, that everything exploded and then there was some big bang and, and that macroevolution took over, are you going to contend for the faith or not? Are you going to call a foul or not? Do you want to win or not? What's happened is Christians for a long time, we've sat back and we've watched people say this and gone, oh, well, you know, that's just what they believe. The Bible says we need to earnestly contend for the faith. And if it's a basketball game, I'm calling a foul. And so with the faith, we need to call a foul. Whenever we hear somebody say something that's completely not true about God and about his creation or any of the following topics in this series, call a foul. Call a foul because we're here to compete for the faith. This morning, we're going to look at historical, scientific, and archaeological data. And if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, what historical data is there about creation? Like I said, there was nobody there. And so we're going to read a little bit. Uh, I will admit it's probably not my strongest evidence this morning. But we're going to look at scientific data and archaeological data as well. I've got sites for everything that we're going to talk about. You can go and look at this. We can visit with, about it afterwards. Certainly, we're just scratching the surface, and I left it to three examples Um, Because I didn't want this to take too terrible long. Um, But first I felt like it was important to cover two uh, commonly accepted creation myths. And so this is what uh, I guess you would say biblical creationists, uh, Christians are up against today. This is what the world uh, likes to talk about and claim is true. And according to space.com, certainly there's other definitions of this, but space.coms has a definition for the Big Bang, and they, they tell us what the Big Bang is. And I love it because their title says, the Big Bang Theory is our best guess about how the universe began. <laughs> You're not even willing to admit that it's right. You don't even know. You're just saying it's a guess. They say that the Big Bang Theory is the leading explanation for how the universe began. Simply put, it says the universe as we know it started with an infinitely hot and dense single point, that inflated and stretched. First at unimaginable speeds and then at a more measurable rate over the next 13.7 billion years to the still expanding cosmos that we know today. This all happened within just the first second after the universe began when the temperature of everything was still insanely hot at about 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit, according to NASA. The cosmos now contained a vast array of fundamental particles such as neutrons, electrons, and protons, the raw materials that would become the building blocks for everything that exists today. This is what many people in the world believe happened. This is how many people in the world today believe that creation uh, occurred, That that it didn't happen over seven days, that it happened over the last 13.7 billion years. They they sit there and they tell us that this is our best guess. But here's what we know happened in one second 13.7 billion years ago. It's just insanity. It's just insanity, isn't it? This is what people would have us to believe. That, that there was nothing out there and that that nothing exploded and expanded and... And that it became something, somewhere, some bacteria that ended up growing and that that bacteria then evolved into humans and butterflies and elephants all the same. They, they all came from the same exact thing. You, you must believe that in order to believe the Big Bang. And the next one, and, and these two go hand in hand, is macro Macroevolution. And so uh, Berkeley has a a write-up on macroevolution. They say macroevolution encompasses the grandest trends and transformations in evolution, such as the origin of mammals and the radiation of flowering plants. Macroevolutionary patterns are generally what we see when we look at the large-scale history of life. The basic evolutionary mechanisms, mutation, migration, genetic drift, and natural selection can produce major evolutionary change if given enough time. I love it. Once again, if we're willing to, we know that this is true, if we're willing to say that nothing we believe in is right, if we don't have enough time. If you see the common denominator here with the Big Bang and with macroevolution, they both need millions and billions of years in order to have a chance at being real. And without those millions and billions of years, they, they can't possibly be true. And, and the scientists are willing to. Admit that. And they're perfectly fine with that. That without the millions and the billions of years, uh, none of these things could possibly be true. Now, just as clarification, as you probably already understand, but I'm going to go over it very briefly, macroevolution... Uh, is, is quite different from uh, microevolution. And so those are two very different things. When I say evolution today, I'm talking about macro or large-scale evolution. And so we see microevolution uh, through smaller periods of time. That's the like long-haired dogs survive in the cold climate type of thing. And the short-haired dogs, they don't. They die. We understand the difference in micro and macroevolution evolution. Uh, Berkeley goes on to, have a, to show a picture, and I thought this was interesting. They say mutation, genetic, uh, gene flow, genetic drift, and natural selection, plus, uh, give or take, 3.8 billion years, and you get macroevolution. And so you have to have these things in order for macroevolution to be true, in order for the Big Bang to be true. And so as I said uh, just a moment ago, it seems to me that if we can... Prove the age of the earth, if we can give evidence and give reason to believe that the earth is not nearly that old, then, then we can prove that God is creator. And we can disprove what many people in the world today believe. We can disprove the Big Bang. We can disprove macroevolution just by talking about how old the earth is and by giving some evidences to how old the earth is. Like I said, the, the scientists, they're, they're all over the map, but they... As general, what I found in my, my research on it, they believe that the earth is somewhere between 13.7 and 3.8 billion years old. I want you to understand that's a mind-numbingly long amount of time. That's a long, long time. But what I didn't realize when I first started studying this, uh, this topic and what I kind of found to realize is a very popular belief among Christians is that they believe in the millions and billions of years. There are many, many Christians out there who, who would say that the scientists, the evolutionists, that they're correct, that they're right, that the earth is, is billions and billions of years old. And i gotta, I got to admit at the end of the day, I don't care if you believe the earth is 10 billion years older. if you believe the earth is much younger than that, I don't suppose that really matters in the grand scheme of things, but what matters is the truth, and, and that's not what happened, and that's not how God created the earth. In a lot of ways, it feels to me like if the earth was created over 13.8 billion years, that, that kind of cheapens creation to me. It kind of makes it not as impressive to me. Not that it's still not, if God did it, he can do whatever he wants if he wants to create the world over, 10 billion years, he can do that. But it seems a lot more impressive when, when you think about him creating it in, in six literal 24-hour periods. And so you're probably sitting there thinking, well, Zane, you know an awful lot about what didn't happen in the creation, so what happened in the creation? And tell us a little bit about that. So I asked the question, how long ago did creation occur? And I feel like I can show you this in the next 30 seconds, and that's what's amazing about it. We can sit here, we can talk about macroevolution or, or a Big Bang, and we can talk about it for hours and hours and hours, but we can open up the Bible and, and in short order we can prove how old the earth is and how long ago creation occurred by one simple little map. And you can go into the scriptures and you can read some genealogies and you can find that what is on the board here is, is consistent with what the Bible says. But we know that Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago, give or take a few years, and we can find the life of Christ And we can follow it back given uh, genealogy in the scriptures. And we can go all the way back till we get to Adam some 4,000 years before Christ. And we can add up those numbers and it's pretty quick that we can see that the earth is, like I said, give or take a little bit of time, the earth is about 6,000 years old. That in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1 when the Bible says God, in the beginning God created that that was 6,000 years ago. Just by looking at a few genealogies. We know that the events that happened in in Genesis chapter 1 and and Genesis chapter 2 were events that happened 6,000 years ago. And if you'd like to look at this a little bit further, like I said, we're certainly not going to go read all those chapters to add that up. But come talk to me later and and I could help you uh, look through that. So is it possible... Is it even possible that God created the earth over millions or billions of years? Like I said before, I suppose whatever God wanted to do, he was going to do. And if he wanted it to be over billions or millions of years, then that certainly would have happened. And so I, I want to have an open mind. And if that's possible, then, then I want to believe that. If, if that's what God did, I want to believe that that's what God did. But if God didn't, then I don't want to believe that. I don't, I don't want to have any part of thinking about that. The first five verses of Genesis read like this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And so there are many Christians out there that believe. Obviously, evolutionists, they don't believe the Bible, so they're not going to say... The same thing, but there are many Christians out there today who believe that these five verses took millions or billions of years to occur and to take place. They're going to point and they're going to look at, at this and say the evening and the morning were the first day and they're going to say, well, that doesn't even mean day. That means something else. And so I want to talk about this and a few other things here in just a moment. So in order to believe, in order to believe that God created the earth over millions of or billions of years, you must believe the following false statements. Like I said, this this right here, what we're talking about, it's not necessarily evidence that God is creator. We'll get into that in just a moment, but I felt like this was important. Maybe you haven't given a whole lot of thought to what happened in creation or how long that took place uh, to occur, but I want to show you why this theory that each of the seven or six days of creation, uh, saying that each one of those took millions or billions of years, is just simply uh, not possible. So in order to believe that you must believe the following false statement. And the first one is you must believe that day doesn't mean day. He says there in and well in verse number 5 the evening and the morning were the first day and these people are going to look at that and say that that word day it means something else. They're going to look at second Peter chapter 3 and say but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. They're going to say well Look at that. One day with the Lord can be a thousand years. It can be a large period of time. And the first time I heard that, I thought, well, I had never thought about that that way. Maybe they're right. Maybe that is possible. But whenever you think a little further, it's certainly not possible. Uh, For one thing, it says in a thousand years is one day, so I guess you can turn that one back around on them. But it As well, if you say, well, each day is a thousand years. There were seven days of creation. That's 7,000 years. 6,000 years till today, that's 13,000 years. If you really want to get down and dirty and argue that, I'll give you that. Okay, whatever. I don't care. That's not billions of years. It's not millions of years. It's certainly not enough time for any kind of macroevolution to take place. The fact of the matter is, if, if you just simply look at the, the phrasing, it says, in the evening and the morning were the first day. They're going to say the word day there means a period of time, where Garland's going to say, hey, back in my day, we did this or we did that. Back in my day, I used to like to drive my pickup down the dirt road, whatever he says. He's not going to say, back on the evening and the morning of my day, or else we'd know he was talking about one singular day. And that's, that's exactly what we see here in the scripture. It says the evening and the morning were the first day. Garland wouldn't talk about a long period of time, years ago, and in that context, in that way. Furthermore, what, what else do we believe in the scriptures? If day doesn't mean day, where, where do we stop? I have a newfound respect for Jonah. I would have repented too. <laughs> Millions and billions of years in the belly of a whale. My goodness. I can't believe Mary waited around for millions and billions of years before Jesus arose. I can't believe she was still alive. See, where where does it stop? If you're saying the word day doesn't mean day, Where, where does it end? You must believe the next following statement, that plants lived for millions of years before the sun shined upon the earth. Verse number 12 says, And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good. He goes on in verse number 15 then to say, And let them be for lots of the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. He's speaking about the sun when he created it. This was day three. This was day four. And if you believe that each day of creation was millions or billions of years, you have to believe that plants live for millions or billions of years without the sun shining on them. Now, I'll give you that there was light. God said in day one there was light, but the sun wasn't there. And there ain't no scientist out there who's going to say that these plants were creating uh, food and living without photosynthesis. They need the sunlight to, to, in order to produce their own food. I don't believe that plants live for millions and billions of years without sunlight. In order to believe that the earth was created over long periods of time, you must believe that man didn't eat meat. For millions or billions of years. Genesis verse 29 says. And God said. Behold I have given you every herb. Bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree. in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth. To every fowl the air. And to everything that creepeth upon the earth. Wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. If you want to believe that. Man didn't eat meat for millions of years. Then, then you You'd have to subject yourself to this each day being millions or billions of years, and we know that that's not true. Uh, there are several more of these that I cut out for time's sake that I found interesting, uh, but those were three of uh, the ones that I just chose to talk about today. And then my final, the final one, and to me the most strong argument, the most powerful argument to prove that the earth wasn't created over millions and billions of years uh, in each day of creation is that you have to believe that there was death before sin in order to believe that the earth was created over millions and billions of years. Now, that's simply not true. And there ain't nobody here who would say that there was death before sin. We know that there was no such thing as death until Adam and Eve committed sin. That's when death was ushered into the world. And, and so Adam and Eve, they were going to live a, a long life, uh, a life without death. The animals there, they had, they had plants to eat. They weren't going to die. They didn't need to die. But if you believe that the earth was uh, created over millions and billions of years, you have to believe in death before sin you see for evolution which is what these people are really believing in that's why they believe in the millions of billions of years uh, death is the champion without death there's no such thing as evolution there's no such thing as change without death and so if you believe that the earth was created over millions and millions of years you have to believe in death before sin and I don't suppose anyone here uh, would buy into that the scripture says otherwise so now to my evidences as we, as we uh, begin the downhill slide of the sermon, I want to talk about these three evidences uh, that we can look to and point to to see evidence that God is the creator. And the first one is historical. I, I did find some historical evidence, though this isn't as old as creation. Uh, there are some Dead Sea Scrolls. Many of you have are probably familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, Here's a photo from the Dead Sea Scrolls website. It says... Uh, that this is uh, among the oldest known copies of Genesis. The fragment of the scroll shown here contains the description of the first three days of the creation of the world. It it dates this scroll here from 100 to 1 BC. And so it goes to show you that this is not something that was made up uh, recently. This is not something that we just like to believe. This is something that has been around for a very long time, something that's been a prevalent thought because it's true for a very long time long time, and I can show you some more scrolls, but I don't want to bore you to death this morning, and so we're going to go ahead and move on to our scientific and our archaeological evidence. Uh, this one, to me, is is kind of the most confusing. It's a little bit hard to understand, and so I'm going to do my best to, to put it into terms that even I understand, and one of the best evidence is to prove that the earth is not as old as these evolutionists would say, and, and would give more reason to believe that the earth is, is on pace with a 6,000 year existence, like the Bible says, that, that there's too much, uh, too little, rather, there's too little sediment on the seafloor. Here we have a, a picture of, of what is the ocean if you cut it out like a piece of pie, and we see here's the, the land and the beach. And what happens is this: this sand and this sediment and the earth is just eroded and eroded further into the ocean each and every day. A little over ten years ago, we went to Hawaii, and we stayed on Waikiki Beach. It's a beautiful beach, and you know what they told us? That the sand on Waikiki Beach is not from Hawaii. It's from Australia. It's from California. It's from all over the world. They, they load up boats full of sand and they drive, you drive a boat, they drive the boats all the way to Waikiki Beach and they dump the sand out in Hawaii and then people stay on the beach. You know why? Because it erodes into the ocean. And they say that Waikiki Beach would just be a bunch of coral and no one would come spend lots of money there if, if they didn't have sand on the beach. And, and this is what's happening all across the world, probably in, at lesser rates than it is on Waikiki Beach. But what we see is, uh, is that all this dirt and all this debris and all this sediment being washed into the ocean day after day. And they say that about 20 billion tons are added into the ocean every year, and that's globally. They estimate 20 billion tons. And then there's some certain things that we're not going to get into this morning. Uh, You can go to the internet or we can talk about it later, but there's tectonic plate movements that they say some of that sediment gets lost down into the tectonic plates. And so you net 19 billion tons of sediment. And so we understand that. What we have in the ocean is our bathtub and we've plugged our bathtub and we take a bath in it every single day and we don't change out the water. Eventually it's going to start filling up with dirt. We're going to see dirt collecting in the bottom of that bathtub. The average uh, depth of sediment across the ocean is 1,300 feet, 1,300 feet of sediment, okay? And that's, that's what they say is, on average, all the way across the globe. Now, 1,300 feet at the rate that we are at now, at a constant or similar rate, they say would have accumulated in, in 12 million years. And you go, well, that's a lot more than 6,000. I understand, but it's a lot less than 3 billion, Right? It's a lot less than 3 billion years. If scientists are saying that this occurred over 3 billion years, well, we would expect to see much more sediment on the seafloor. We'd expect to see a lot more than 1,300 feet. We've taken too many baths in the tub, and it's starting to fill up with dirt over that period of time. What we've concluded is that after three billion years we'd expect to see two hundred and fifty times more sediment. It's not like the evolutionists are close on this one. They're not even close. They're they're not even near the levels that the that the ocean's at today, according to their numbers and their math. You know what two hundred and fifty times thirteen hundred feet of sediment is? That's 325,000 feet of sediment. You need to drain the tub. There's too much dirt in the tub. 325,000 feet of sediment. The average ocean depth is 12,000 feet. In other words, we have filled up the edges of the ocean with all the sediment. Now, obviously, this is going to the nth degree. Uh, There's not enough land to fill up the ocean uh, necessarily, but you get the point. There's not uh, there's not nearly enough sediment in the ocean given that long of a time frame, and then the reason there is as much as it is is because of events like the global flood. You see, it's not possible that the Earth is billions and billions of years old. In fact, it, it fits a much more moderate time frame, like about six thousand years, which is what the Bible says. The next and and. Easily, my favorite evidence that I've found is that there's been soft tissue found in dinosaur bones. In Job chapter 40, we read about dinosaurs. It says, Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together together. His bones are strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. And we we know that God is describing a dinosaur here to uh, to Jonah, to Job. And there's nothing else that it could possibly be. There's no other animal that's ever lived in the earth that's fit that description except for a dinosaur. And and so we know that we have dinosaurs here at the time of man. That they're walking around on the earth at the same time that man is. God told uh, Noah to put two of every kind on the ark. Right, And so it's not a matter of opinion. It's a fact. There were two dinosaurs on the ark. I don't know if they were the big ones or the small ones or the medium ones, but there were two dinosaurs on the ark. And so we know that man and and dinosaur have overlapped. The evolutionists and the scientists of the world, they're going to say that dinosaurs are said to have lived anywhere between 230 and 65 million years years ago and sixty five million being the, the shortest possible amount of time they think that they could have lived due to you know a meteor shower or whatever it was, comets. They're gonna say that these dinosaurs lived a long time ago. I want you to understand how long ago that was, two hundred thirty to sixty five million years ago. Whereas the Bible says that these dinosaurs could have lived anywhere from about six thousand to five thousand years ago. And then in 2005, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of, of mankind was, was made by some archaeologists, some paleontologists. Uh, they found this T. rex femur, a leg bone from a, from a T. rex. And it was in America. I don't remember where it was, and so I won't even say, but uh, somewhere further north than this. They found this, this, these T. rex bones. And as they were excavating and as they were pulling out the bones of this dinosaur, uh, the femur broke. And that's a bad thing for a paleontologist. That's what you don't want. But what happened was they said, well, it's broke open. Let's go ahead and run some tests on it. This is an opportunity that we try to not have, but now we've got it. Let's run some tests. And what they found that there was soft tissue inside of that dinosaur leg. That's incredible. It was still soft inside his leg. And we're talking, that the scientists were backpedaling and they were really trying to scramble and figure out a way to explain this. That this dinosaur leg didn't dry out over 65 million years. Here's some photos of that exact dinosaur leg. They got it back to a lab or doing some tests on it. And these are pictures from that exact Dinosaur. It says the demineralized fragment is flexible and resilient, and when stretched, it returns to its original shape. That's pretty cool. And here you see a picture of that. They found different proteins uh, and different uh, intact blood vessels within this uh, within this dinosaur. It says that regions of demineralized bone show fibrous character. Here's another. Photo from, from that same dinosaur, and this is what is in an, an intact blood cell. Now, Matt, he probably has a cow die from time to time, and there's probably somewhere they put that, and you come back a couple months later, and it looks dry as can be to me. You know, there ain't no way you crack open a cow bone after a couple months, and there ain't going to be anything fibrous in there. But here they're saying this dinosaur sat there for 65 million years and still had soft tissue. As I said just a minute before, a biblical creationists are going to say that this, this exact dinosaur lived, of course, somewhere between six and 5,000 years. May give or take a little bit. But evolutionists are going to have you believe that this exact dinosaur lived 65 to 85 million years ago. Folks, this is incredible. I leave a bag of chips out on the couch and come back the next morning, and they're stale. Over like... Ten hours and you 're going to tell me that this dinosaur remained fibrous and flexible and had soft tissue in sixty five million years I, I I keep saying some of the same things over and over again because I want you to realize how absurd you have that this line of thinking is and I wanted to find a way to illustrate that uh, visually that how long these scientists are saying this dinosaur bone sat there in the in the earth, it got hot, it got cold, and, and didn't dry out and didn't deteriorate like we would have expected. And, and so the best way I thought of doing that was with some quarters. And so I've got 27 quarters here. That's one quarter for every year of my life, almost. Not quite 27 yet. But I thought I'd go ahead and give myself one more quarter. And you see, if you take one quarter for every year of my life and you stack it up you get a visual representation of how old I am. And you kind of can see, just with a stack of quarters, and this is Zane box life, and it ain't many quarters. That's 27 quarters worth. But I want you to see how long this dinosaur should have lived using the quarter method. You see, if we stacked up 6,000 quarters to be a little on the far side for creationists and how old this dinosaur really was. If you stack up those 6,000 quarters, that's about as tall as a power line. About 30, 35 feet. Steve, Is that sound about right? That's how tall of a stack of quarters that would be. And if you stack up one quarter next to that power line every year for 6,000 years, that's how old we're saying this dinosaur is. How old are evolutionists saying that that dinosaur lived without, without drying out and still remaining having soft tissue within it? They're saying 65 million years. You know how tall of a stack of quarters that is? Folks, that's Mount Everest 12 times. That's a tall stack of quarters. That's a big stack of quarters. That's a long time to stack up quarters and not have a dead animal dry out and still remain soft tissue The point I'm trying to make here is this dinosaur was not 65 million years old. It wasn't 10 million years old. It wasn't 5 million years old. It was somewhere between 6,000 and 5,000 years old. That's about how old that dinosaur was. And you see what this does is it lines up and it gives us a good reason to believe in the biblical timeline of creation. It makes much more sense. It seems much more reasonable that that dinosaur is, is about 6,000 years old. You see, it's, it's just quite simply impossible that that dinosaur is that old. Thus, giving, in my opinion, some of the greatest evidence towards a young earth, giving some of the greatest evidence that God is the creator. Finally, as we begin to, to wrap our thoughts up, I want to look at Scripture. And so uh, I read a few verses and found out that the Bible tells us what we're supposed to believe. And, and so we can look at science, we can look at archaeology, we can look at history, but at the end of the day, we're here at church and we believe what the Bible says. And we're going to believe whatever the Bible tells us, whatever that is about creation. And, and I'll be honest with you, if creation was billions of years old or yesterday, I'm gonna believe whatever the Bible says. And whatever the Bible tells us, we have to be willing to believe. And Psalms chapter 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork says, when I consider thy heavens, in Psalms chapter 8, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. The Bible tells us who the creator is. The Bible tells us that that God shows his handiwork within creation. That this this is something that God can easily do. The Bible tells us about God's power. He tells us that God is the one that ordained the moon and the stars. It's the work of his fingers. It's not the work of evolution. It's not the work of an accident. It's the work of God. Hebrews chapter 11, chapter on faith, says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You you can't believe this, and you can't believe in the Big Bang at the same time. You can't believe this, and believe in macroevolution at the same time. They're going to have you believe that that there was some explosion and there was some bacteria and that it just grew and grew and grew. But the Bible says that the things which were made were not made of things which do appear. They weren't made of anything that existed before. It says in verse number six, a couple verses later, and without faith it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so throughout the remainder of this study and throughout the duration of my study, we can talk about all the evidences we want and they can be as strong as possible in proving that God is the creator. But at the end of the day, you can't please God without faith. You can't please him without faith. It says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he he rewards those who seek him. If you want to please God, you have to believe that He is God. You have to believe that He is the Creator in order to please Him. So why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Genesis 1 and 1 says, In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. And as I said just moments ago, whatever the Bible says, we have to be willing to to accept and believe. No matter what the Bible says, and if the Bible says that the earth was created over six 24-hour periods, then we have to be willing to believe that. And if you'll follow my line of, of logic, since God is the creator, the rest of the Bible is reliable. If what the Bible says in Genesis chapter. One is is reliable and if God really is the creator and he really created the world in six days and rested one day and if he really made you and I different and he really breathed into us the breath of life and if we really became a living soul, then he is your authority. If God is the creator, then he is your authority and we have to be in submission to that authority Romans chapter 14 and verse number 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It's not optional. It's not that every knee shall bow, that everyone shall give account to God if you believe in God or not. Everyone will give account of himself to God because God is the authority. And we are in submission to that authority now, and we will be in submission to that authority for eternity. I hope that I've given you some, some good evidences, some good reason to believe in the creation this morning. Uh, I've loved this study. But at the end of the day, what matters is really the last couple of slides, that we are in submission to God. And if you're not in submission to God today, you need to get your life right, and you need to be in submission to God. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.